The Canadian Football Perspective Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Fox 40, helping you return to play safely with their latest innovations, the Fox 40 Tri-Layer Whistle Mask and the Fox 40 Electronic Whistle. If you want 15% off all of your return to play whistle needs, all you have to do is go to fox40shop.com and enter the promo code CFP15. For those tough wake-ups. Stats are misleading. It's Marsh and Mellow. Major foul. Wake up to serious sports talk. He fist is it. It's Marsh. The CFL, baby. And Mellow. I love Canada. It's Marsh and Mellow. This is football. For those tough wake-ups. They're heating up. It's Marsh and Mellow. Coming your way, Hamilton. Wake up to serious sports talk. Gas tank gonna be full. It's Marsh. In Canada. And Mellow. Why not, eh? It's Marsh and Mellow. Thank you, Canada. Everybody's doing it. It is Marsh and Mellow. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks for being here with us as always at Marsh and Mellow is where you can find us for the show account at Kyle underscore Mellow underscore is Kyle Mellow on the other side of this Zoom chat. And I am the naked guy at the cottage. You can find me on Twitter <laughs> at, at TSN underscore Marsh. I will not be posting any photos of me naked at the cottage because that's not my brand. I mean, it could be. <laughs> <laughs> I could just be shirtless guy posting all the time, but ain't nobody got no time for that. Nobody wants to see that. But yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm uh, very fortunate to be at the cottage this week, enjoying the last couple of days. Oh, and just as I look out the basement window that I'm doing the show in today, it's a downpour all of a sudden. Man, the coastal oh. weather on Lake Huron is amazing. It's like randomly today we've had downpours, 30 degrees with sun, it's been humid, it's been dry, it's been sunny, it's been cloudy. It's like, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes and it'll change. I don't want to, uh, you know, screw over your witness protection program, but where is this cottage located? (laughs) Uh, It's on beautiful Lake Huron, is what I always like to say to people, because I want absolutely nobody finding out the beautiful place that I spend some of my time in the summer. And it actually popped up uh, super, super last second this year and was very, very thankful to get an opportunity to uh, to get away a little bit with the family. And it's also crazy because at this time last year, I was actually uh, here with Marlene, my fiance, when she was seven months pregnant with our son. And now he's nine months old and he's here with us. So th- it's crazy like one year apart being in the same place, staying in the same cottage, going to the same beach. And instead of it being two people, and having a huge baby bump like she did, it's three people, and we have to care for an entire other human being. It's it, it takes a little bit to wrap your head around when you're out on the beach crushing beers, and you're like, wait a minute, I should probably focus on the child. Yeah. This is a little bit it's different the, than the usual going to the beach back in the day with the boys. Yeah, it's the uh, web that life uh, spins, right? Yes. Um, in a couple of weeks, I will be on uh, Peely Island. Oh, uh, nice. August 11th to like the 14th. Good yeah, wine. So uh, got, a, got a cottage out there, and... Uh, yeah, for a couple of days, going to sit back, uh, relax, and uh, hopefully watch some CFL football. I know the yeah. Ticats start on the road, so I'm hoping I can watch the game up there. Well, and did you hear the news? 100% capacity in Winnipeg for the season opener on August 5th. So when the Ticats go in to play the Bombers and they're able to kick off the season and do the Great Cup rematch and all the rest, that's going to be in front of a full house in Winnipeg. But you have to prove you've been double vaccinated in order to get in. But I thought that was incredible because I did not anticipate that news because it was only about a month ago that we were saying, man, Winnipeg and Manitoba looks like it's a bit of a mess. Now, I know people listening to this from out west will say they're a bit of a mess. Do you know where you live? Yeah, I get it. I, un- <laughs> I understand. Ontario has been bad for a large chunk of this last year and a half. But it's amazing to think that they actually are going to have full capacity. That is going to look incredible on television once they hit kickoff. 
yeah, just the energy in the building um, with, yeah. you know, everybody, not just watching football again, kind of just coming together. Cause I guarantee, and you know how it is in Hamilton uh, down there at Tim Horns field. Like you have the regulars, like if you have season tickets, all of a sudden you've become friends with probably 40 people that sit around you yeah. because they sit around you every single week and you haven't seen them in a very long time. So it's like a coming together, not just, Hey, Ty cats are playing football again. Yeah, it's so true. It's, it is a big family. And I think a lot of people have used social media over the last year and a half to be able to keep that family and that community going, but there's nothing like being in person and being around everybody. So uh, I'm excited for the people in Winnipeg. I'm also excited to be able to see stage three opening up, I believe in Ontario and a lot of places coming up this uh, actually when people are listening to this on Friday, I know I'm not exactly going to be running out to the bar uh, on just because they announced stage three, because as we know, there's uh, variants and different things floating around. And I think we still got to be relatively hesitant, but at the same time, it's uh, it's getting a little bit closer. And I think certainly the countdown on all of the different CFL teams websites is the thing that kind of catches me every time, Kyle, because I'm doing a lot of reading right now and I'm doing a lot of, you know, watching team previews and videos and all the rest. And every time I go to a team website and it says, you know, 22 days until kickoff of the season, their, their first game of the year, I'm like, man. And it's like, yeah, 22 days is not super soon, right? That's still three weeks away. Yeah. But when you've been gone for essentially two years, 22 days feels like you're going to blink and it's going to be here. So it, it is exciting to see people starting to announce, you know, oh, I, I bought season tickets and I'm going out with my friends and I bought this for my dad and I can't wait to get a new jersey of my favorite player. Like all these things that fans are supposed to be used to doing, they're, they're getting back to that. Like it's and it's kind of fun to see it come back to life after it's been basically dead on arrival for almost a year and a half. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at, you know, the way the pandemic hit us, essentially now you have two years of discretionary money that people have yeah. if, if they saved. Right. Um, because they weren't going out to restaurants all the time. They weren't going out to the bars because bars were closed. Restaurants were closed. Maybe they did in other ways and spend their money um, elsewhere. Um, but there's a very good you know, potential that if CFL football can really grab a hold of the market in Canada and, you know, be a regular thing and we have at least 50% capacity, hopefully more like Winnipeg and it's a hundred percent, all of a sudden people are looking around and saying, huh, maybe I should spend my money there and buy season yeah. tickets because it's the place to be. Uh, because I remember a time, especially in Hamilton, and maybe it still is, that, you know, Tim Hortons Field, the old Iver win, it was the place to be. When Ticats played, it's like, ooh, Ticats are playing today. Even if you didn't know they were playing that day, yeah. you knew they were playing because you saw everybody walking down the street in their Ticats gear, <laughs> like 20 blocks down from the stadium because they walk to the stadium because they live in the East End. And they're like, you know what? It's a nice day. I'm going to walk. Yeah, I, I love that too. And it, for me, my experience of learning the Ticats fandom and what that was like on game day was – when you would see people getting on city buses in West Hamilton, all wearing, yeah. black, all wearing black and gold, or you would see a city bus go by and it would all be black and gold, or you'd see a bunch of cabs going by and there's all these people packed in where, you know, young people wearing jerseys that they had purchased with their own money. It's like, man, it's uh, it's pretty special once you can get back to that and not having to think about it too, I think is important. But what did you, what did you think about the Winnipeg decision about the double vaccination that you have to be able to be double vaccinated and to prove? Cause as we've seen, I mean, you can still get COVID if you are double vaccinated, but the percentages yep. are obviously significantly better than if you are not double vaccinated. So um, the idea of having people go in and approving that, because the idea of a, a, a vaccination passport, I'm actually really in favor of. And I think a lot of people, 
that want to be able to have a transparent restart to society, if you will, are in favor of having that vaccination passport. Of course, there's going to be the other side that says that's none of your business and I shouldn't be restricted because I don't decide to do something with my body that I don't, but whatever. You can have your reasoning, you can have your opinions, but it, it's the right of organizations to be able to say, okay, you have your opinions, you have your beliefs, that's fine, you're allowed to have them. We're just telling you that if you want to come inside our stadium and cheer for our football team, this is what we are asking you to accomplish. I'm totally okay with it. I think that Saskatchewan should probably do it. I've seen people in Saskatchewan talking about wanting to have that be a thing. The premier out there in Saskatchewan, I believe, has said that he does not believe in doing the vaccination passport. But in Winnipeg and in Manitoba, they've said, this is something that we want for our franchise. And I actually applaud them for it because I think that it's probably driven some people that might have been on the fence to get vaccinated. Yeah, and I think that's important to note, right? Um, if anybody was on the fence of going to you know, a stadium full of 30,000 people, it's like, hmm, I don't know if I should do that right now. Obviously, with still COVID, even if you've been vaccinated, there still might be a hesitation. Um, but now with everybody needing to prove that second dose, maybe it allows people to say, okay, I feel safe enough to go. Um, I've never been a big fan of forcing people to do anything. I don't think the government should force people to do anything. Obviously, there's you know, small stuff, I think. Pay your taxes. Um, <laughs> pay your t- yeah well yeah pay your taxes uh the other one is the the stupid census uh oh, yeah. I, i've had a mess with the census we sent it in but because i live in a house with multiple units they keep calling us and it's like we sent our census like stop calling us um but yeah i've never been a big fan of uh, you know forcing people to do things but i'm also a big fan of you know, organizations having the right to do what they please with their event. And if, you know, the event um, organizers like the Winnipeg Blue Bombers want to, you know, put the fact you need two doses to, you know, step in the stadium, um, then I'm kind of fine with that. Um, I I don't believe in the vaccine passport within Canada, um, but it might become a thing. Um, traveling outside of our borders, people are like, oh, they better not do vaccine passports. I'm like, guess what? It's not your call. Yeah. I'm like, you can't, you can't control at all what the United States does if they want to do a vaccine passport. I feel for all the people in the United States, but all these countries, Caribbean countries, you know, vacation spots, if they decide they want to do vaccine passports, sorry, you had a luck. Either you don't go or you get the vaccine. And it kind yeah. of sucks that you've been, you know, pigeonholed in, in, in that way. Um, but you can't always get what you want. That's true. That is very true. I also, two things come to mind when we talk about these vaccination passports. One is that I believe that anytime that you create access for people to something based on documentation, the inevitable evolution of that is fake documentation. Oh, yeah. I already had uh, somebody I know say, uh, I'm going to make a fake vaccine passport. Right. Okay. It's like, knock yourself out. And I don't know what the charges would be for that. I'm sure it's fraud and impersonating (laughs) whatever and all these different things. But like the reality is, there will be a market if they do decide to do anything across the country for vaccination passports. There will be a market for fake vaccination passports, which is dangerous and stupid and reckless. Listen, getting a fake ID that says your name is McLovin and you're an organ donor so that you can go out and have beers with your buddies (laughs) when you're too young. I mean, that's just you being young and stupid. That's fine. This version of a fake ID, essentially, dangerous, dumb. So, I, But that's going to be an inevitability. And the other thing that I kind of laugh at with this is that um, the idea that we are getting closer and closer to kickoff and certain places are setting certain standards in one market and certain standards are being set in another market. And, and I just don't know when we're going to get to the point 
where it's going to be standardized. And I'm not saying standardized as in, hey, open doors, everything back to normal. It's just, it feels like when the TV people go in to, because I talked to some TV people last week, when they go into certain stadiums, they're going to get tested if they're going to be at field access level, right? Like you're getting a nasal swab and all of this. Even if you're double vaccinated, you go down the field, anywhere near the players, you are getting tested. Okay, that's fine. But then it's like, well, you can go somewhere else in a different part of society. And it says, hey, we don't need masks. We can do whatever we want. So it's there's certain stringent, I think, uh, measures that are being taken in certain spots. And it's really lax in others. And I, I just don't think we're ever going to have a true consensus on those things. And I do know, and this is an inevitability as well, unfortunately, that the people who don't agree with the vaccine passport and don't agree with needing to have that double vaccination in order to get into the bombers game, if, and I think it's probably going to happen, right? And it feels bad to say, but if somebody comes out of that bombers game and tests positive, whether it's a fake positive or a real positive or whatever, if somebody comes out of that first game, August 5th, and they test positive, the people who do not believe in the vaccine passport, do not believe in vaccinations, do not applaud the bombers for doing this. They will have their ammunition to use as fodder for why this is useless in their opinion, right? And it'll be one person, two people. But if if a single person comes out, CTV Winnipeg does a report on it. Somebody tested positive. Were the bombers reckless in allowing people to have 100% in the stands? It will become a discussion point unless they get out of it. And there's absolutely nobody who tests positive And it all goes very smoothly. I hope that that happens. I hope that it's not a conversation point, but I, I just have a feeling that at some point something's going to happen and it'll just give ammo, as I say, to the fodder of people who want to use the argument against the people who are making those decisions. Yeah. And people that want to bring that as an argument, I mean, they're always going to bring something uh, yeah. to the table. That's an argument. Um, and the fact that, you know, slip through the cracks and somebody tests the positive and it becomes a big story. Um, again, being outside, I think helps. Um, I'm trying to think of indoor stadiums in Vancouver, um, where it's a little bit more, um, you know, I believe indoor. BC got 50% of the lower bowl and they don't have any plans to open the upper bowl as of right now. So I think that's the situation in Vancouver. <laughs> I mean, in, uh, in regular times, uh, they struggle to, to get the upper <laughs> bowl open anyway. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> which calling games in, in Vancouver, you have to look underneath a tarp that drapes the top stands because the press box <laughs> is on the concourse. It's we need to, we need better sight lines in Vancouver just for the radio people. If they can do that, that would be fantastic. Hey, there's but, a lot of uh, CFL play-by-play guys that would say uh, they need better sight lines in Tim Hortons Field because where the away <laughs> broadcast booth is, you need binoculars. Mike Hogan has told us uh, oh, uh, yeah. told us that numerous times. I uh, I had a pretty good laugh the other day when uh, Derek Taylor posted a photo that said Dion Lacey is back at Riders practice. He was out the last couple of days because of COVID protocol, which by the way, that was a, a bit of a weird one where Dean Lacey shows up, he gets on the field after quarantining, and then he gets off the field and the riders say, well, it's because of COVID protocol. And they're like, okay, can you expound further? Like, did he get a positive test or was he a close contact of someone or, you know, should the team be concerned that there's going to be some sort of outbreak or, and they just said, we would prefer not to clarify. Yeah. <laughs> and Here's it, another so thing. He, that... And then he's back in on the practice field two days later. And it's like, okay, so maybe he had a positive test and he got retested and he came back negative and they were like, okay, you can go practice again. But the reason I laughed at it is that yeah. Derek Taylor took a picture from the top of the press box. It looked like at Mosaic. And I was like, wow, that is a hell of a ways up there to be. I couldn't even tell where Dion Lacey was wearing a green uniform on a green turf field. 
Yeah, here's another thing I do want to uh, point out. Um, because of the ruling now that single-game uh, sports wagering is legal in Canada and people are going to wager money on the Canadian Football League, we don't know how that's going to work out. Um, I don't even think the law has technically been approved. It's been passed, but mm -hmm. uh, Trudeau has to sign it into law. Um, it is going to be very interesting on what the CFL does with injuries. Because the CFL has always had this reputation of being yeah. very closeted in terms of hiding injuries. You can't do that when there's lines on the game. I mean, there's always been lines on the game. But I don't know how Ontario-run casinos are going to put out lines if they don't know certain injuries. I think the CFL is going to have to start doing daily injury reports. It would make our job a lot easier mm -hmm. because you know this. You know, I would sit in the stands and on my Twitter what everybody was asking is person practicing is this person injured is this person going to play and we had an agreement with the Ticats that if something happened on the field I was able to report on that but if there was something that the regular person wouldn't be privy to then I couldn't report on it and it was a fine line I had to walk in sometimes I did step on some toes and you know i got some bark back from cfl officials and you know the tie cats saying i don't know if you should have tweeted that and it's like listen i'm here to do a job and be the eyes and ears for the fan base and that's what i'm trying to do but now that you have serious money on the line here and it's not the fact of because like i said you know lines have always existed but now that the government's involved the government doesn't want to get screwed over they're yeah. not going to put a line where it's like Ty Cats minus five and Jeremiah Masoli and Dane Evans are both not expected to play. And nobody knows about it until kickoff yeah. because that changes the line massively. Yeah. The depth charts are going to matter. The injury reporting is going to matter. Yes. And I would also say that if you are the, the people who are uh, invested in the gambling industry, that has to be one a on your list of priorities. When you speak to the CFL, does it not in order to be able to clear that issue up and say, this is really important to not just lines, but to having people interested in betting on our events because people are, are going to be more hesitant to place money on something if they don't trust depth charts or if they don't trust that the player that is rumored to maybe be okay, maybe not, he's listed here or there, he's on the one game. Oh, just kidding, he's back, he's playing. Like yeah. that changes absolutely everything. So I'm with you. That's That's gotta be, I think, at the front of the list. I do know this, that on the broadcasts very quickly, I think on TSN, you're going to start to see a little bit more in terms of the, the wagering gambling stuff, whether it's lines in a graphic that are on the screen or if it's updates in game from, uh, you know, personalities like David Sanchez, who's done a great job with TSN Edge. I think that you're going to start to see more and more of that because how, how could they avoid that? How could they possibly not go in and end up wanting to um, I guess, access some of that community. Because if there are people that are interested in that, and I understand there's going to be blowback from it, I think it's yeah. going to be a trial by error. They're going to sprinkle it in and they're going to get some hate. They're going to get some love. And then they're going to find out where they actually want to take it. Yeah, it'll be uh, interesting to see how the CFL approaches that. I just, I'm a big fan of some sort of systematic protocol yeah. put in place where the CFL does release injuries like the NFL does. The NFL has to release every injury. And if you don't put an injury on there you're gonna get fined pete yeah. carroll and the seattle seahawks have been fined i don't even know a dozen times <laughs> in the past five years because of hiding injuries on their depth chart yeah it's so true uh, let's get a quick break before you come back on the other side here i will uh, update you on what i am having is a sawdust city beer today at the cottage perfect weather to bring up some sawdust city we'll do that right after this here on marsh and mellow canadian football perspective 
Marshall Ferguson here for my friends at Force to Joni. Yes, Force to Joni, you know them, you love them. Of course, they've got great specials and features going down over the next couple of weeks. Their triple bogey contest giveaway. $5 tall cans of triple bogey lager and amber, and every triple bogey sold will be a ballot into a draw to win some great golf prizes, including a grand prize of a custom triple bogey golf bag. Lamb Spadini on the barbecue on the patio once every couple of weeks. You can follow them on Instagram at 4 Joni. That's at F-O-R-E dot S-T-A-G-I-O-N-E for updates on the menu. They've got a new summer drink menu as well. Daily drink specials such as Sangria Saturday, Corona Buckets, and $9 Classic Cocktails. Make sure that you check them out by calling in, of course, 905-381-9850 or... Just go to forcedajoni.ca. For those tough wake-ups. John got drank a beer and then crushed it off the side of his helmet. This was a damn Canada heritage moment. It's Martian Mellow. I've been talking about it for probably five years now, and I finally pulled the trigger, <laughs> saw that beer, chugged it, and crushed it over my head, and that was about it. What's John God doing these days? I always wonder that when we play that rejoin. Now, welcome back. It is Marsh <laughs> and Mellow right here on Canadian Football Perspective, and it's about that time. Ah, there you go. Uh, This is a little Norway. I just went classic because I went for a run before we actually did this show. I got my sweat on uh, to make myself feel better about having a beer. And if you would like to do that and get free shipping on your Sada City beer offer, then you can do so by going to their website, sadacitybeer.com. Shop their wide variety of brews. Learn more about what you love. Check out all of the tastings we have up on our YouTube page. And of course, use that promo code CFL in order to get yourself Free shipping to Ontario residents only must be of legal drinking age. Uh, yeah, it's nice to be able to enjoy some Sada City up at the cottage. Of course, people getting ready for the CFL season should want to buy in on that as well. And as I've been saying, do it with your buddies. Get together and uh, and make sure that you guys get an order in before the CFL season begins because they uh, they actually have sold out of some of their stuff in the online store, uh, hopefully because people have been using the promo code, but really just yeah. because it's been a popular summer for them up there. Yeah, would, uh, would you say that uh, Norway, Little Norway, is a light beer? Uh, yeah, it's a lager, right? It's, uh, or sorry, yeah, it's a Pilsner, so it's uh, it's relatively light. I think it's like 4.8, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Perfect for the cottage. So, oh, perfect. Yeah, it, like hot weather and summer and sitting out and enjoying Like you're saying, for uh, for when you're going to the cottage and watching some CFL football in August, it's like it's – I'd love a good post-run, uh, post-workout summer beer that you can – you feel no guilt whatsoever in being able to drink just a nice little light, crisp, enjoyable Pilsner, so – uh, they got lots of stuff, lots of options for you there. I wanted to uh, to bring up, just before we dive into kind of bouncing around here on CFL Training Camp, headlines and stories. Uh, there was a, a headline that came out from U Sports this week, as of course, they're excited to get back out onto the field and starting to wrap their heads around training camps and where they want to go. But they announced this week, uh, U Sports did, uh, that they have a three-year partnership with CSL Esports, operator of the nation's largest collegiate esports league, Headlining the new partnership is the launch of U Sports Gaming, which will debut with a preliminary event this summer, followed by official competition beginning in the fall. Uh, there's some quotes in this press release that come out from people that are on various stories and all the rest. But what this really boils down to for me that I thought was interesting when I was in university, I remember hearing that we had an esports team that was on campus at McMaster. And if this is a decade ago, right? And at that point, esports and gaming was something you did with your buddies playing Madden while you were having beers. It was not something that was at the forefront and was competition, but the OUA was really interested in getting out in front of this because I think they saw where it was trending and where it could possibly go. And I don't know if that means necessarily in terms of having revenue streams or how this is going to shake out, but there's money in this, there's interest in this. And I've talked to people that have kids that are in their 10 to 10 to 15 year old range 
and they don't want to go out and throw a football. They want to sit inside and watch people throw virtual footballs. Like it's crazy to me. One, <laughs> of, one, of, one of my high school football coaches I was talking to last week and, and I said, how's the team looking? And the rest, he said, our enrollment numbers are down in Kingston. And he said, you know, there's not very many kids that are playing. It's hard to get them out. And I said, why? Like, what's the problem? And he said, everybody wants to play video games and it's everybody's yeah. always enjoyed video games, but it's never been like this before. So now U sports is basically pivoting and saying, well, why don't we try to take advantage of this? So currently it says 22 U sports member institutions have active teams participating in various CSL leagues. The organization also recently announced its own multi-company partnership with the national association of college esports, the NACE and other industry leaders, nerd street mainline to establish the NACE star league, which will become the largest collegiate esports league in North America with more than 14,000 students competing from 600 colleges and universities. And then this quote says, this alignment with U-Sports is a clear partnership that helps continue CSL Esports' mission to build more sustainable collegiate esports programs, uh, said their CEO, Rob Johnson. I hope he's not the guy that took Doug Flutie's job in 99. Uh, we look forward <laughs> to, to helping U-Sports member institutions build on their successes provide new opportunities and to connect North American partners with U sports gaming. What do you think of all this Kyle? Because this is very clearly U sports trying to get into the esports game in a big, big way. Yeah. Like my only, I guess, hesitancy with this is I think it's great for, for U sports. How does U sports monetize this? Because it's easy to have a partnership, but partnership doesn't always mean money. Um, and I think U sports needs to find ways to, you know, create money for the athletic department or just the university as a whole. Um, but I think it's important as well. The NCAA ruling too, that we talked about last week. And yeah. now that athletes are allowed to, you know, make money off of their own image and likeness. Um, have we heard anything on that happening in U sports as well, uh, for players? Because let's say, for example, uh, U sports football player enters, a CSL kind of tournament and there's money at stake. Well, if there's money at stake, isn't technically that person where are they working? Are they, but are they using the image of the university or themselves as a university athlete to make money? So that's an interesting component of, uh, you know, of it as well. I think if you're, you know, you sports too, I think this is, kind of a new avenue that you need to extend all possible, you know, uh, you know, streams of, of revenue. Yeah. Um, and you need to go down that road, every road possible uh, to make money because we know this too, right? Uh, the pandemic has damaged sports in this country and all over the globe. Look at TV ratings, even of professional leagues, look at the NBA ratings are down again. Right. And it doesn't, help anybody in the sports world um you know that the pandemic happened and maybe you know video games have been you know an industry to profit off of you know the fact that sports aren't as big as they once were um so i think it's you know very smart for for you sports to go down this road but make sure that you are monetizing it because if it's just a partnership then it's just it's just noise and doesn't mean anything yeah that's so true they have to be able to turn it into something i do think that there is a real opportunity there for a growth industry in Canada though, right? Like being able to actually popularize this and think about having, you know, a, a Yates cup event that is uh, tied at the hip with the actual football game or something where on a Saturday, yeah. after, a Saturday afternoon, you're playing for the Yates and that's the biggest football game in Ontario. 
And on Friday night, there's a there's a you know CSL U Sports esports uh, event that's going down that. Uh, you could have you know crowds coming out to that stuff once we're able to have more crowds in, and maybe that draws more people that are university students out because it becomes a weekend long event. I know they've talked about before at the Grey Cup, and I believe they were planning to do it in Regina, um, an esports tournament that was going to be basically all throughout Grey Cup week and was going to draw some younger people hopefully towards the event, and then maybe they go, hey, you know, the Grey Cup uh, festival is actually fun, and hey, maybe I do like the CFL, and some of that stuff of connecting the dots I think can be far fetched, but. I mean, if you try to drag 10 people out and you only get two of them to actually come out, it's still two more people than you had before, right? <laughs> like there's really, yeah. there's no wrong answer in trying to engage people because the more you engage people, it's a snowball effect. So uh, I hope that this turns into something big, even though I'll admit I'm still confused by a lot of the esports stuff, the, yeah. the, the popularity of it, the money that's behind it all. It's amazing to me how quickly it evolved but I don't have to fully understand it in order to hope that it actually grows and becomes something special. And I think it's important to note as well. You want fans. If you're trying to pull the esports audience into a fan base for these respective sports for you sports and just sports as a whole, yeah. whether it's a soccer league, you know, MLS that decides to do this or the national hockey league, right? You want to make those fans, hockey fans, not video game fans who just happen are watching your game or your sport because it benefits their video game life in some way. Right. You don't want that. You want to turn them into sports fans. And that's important. For example, Jake Paul, right now he's the biggest name kind of in boxing, right? But the audience that watches Jake Paul fights are not boxing audience. No. Right. They're not going to watch Canelo Alvarez against Billy Joe Saunders. That happened a couple of months ago at Dallas Cowboys stadium. And the place was sold out. Right. How do you grab that fan base and turn them into a fan of your, you know, respective sport? I think that's important by just grabbing an audience because, Hey, they're used to that. And this person is now competing in, you know, that sport. Yeah. But now they're just following that person. They're not following that sport. What happens when that person goes away? Yeah. Like that's how you have to build a sustainable audience moving forward. And I don't think that's something sports is doing very well where they're going down this avenue of esports because you're just pulling the video game audience for a temporary you know, uh, amount of time. And I don't think you can monetize that for the long run. The proud, shiny, and up and coming city of Hamilton. Completely out of context, Jim Rome, my favorite. Uh, all right, let's get a quick break. Come back for you on the other side here, and we will bounce around some of the news and notes from training camps in the CFL as they are extremely underway. It is Marsh and Mellow Canadian Football Perspective. For those tough wake-ups. I want to give you a chance, Pete, to call a couple of places. Let's see what you do here, buddy. Yeah. Okay, ball's on the right hash. We got the boys looking deep downfield. It's second and ten. It's Martian Mellow. But I got a feeling that we're going to go try to pick up a chunk right here. They're going to be defending low, and we're going to find a way. Quarterback scrambling. Gets the ball loose. Hi. <laughs> Welcome back. It is Marsh and Mellow right here for you on Canadian Football Perspective. Hope that you are all having a wonderful first week of CFL training camps around the league. I know... 
as I'm out at the cottage here, I have had a lot of fun reading each day, trying to stay up to date on all nine teams. It's tough. There's a lot of stuff going on. And we haven't even hit the part of training camp, Kyle, where there's a billion transactions because that's coming quick, right? Where they yeah. got to start to cut down 100 to 75, 75 to 60. And that's always the mayhem because guys are getting cut and then somebody becomes available. You didn't expect to be available. And then you have to cut somebody from your team that you didn't want to, that you actually wanted to keep, but you actually like that other team's person more. And so you start, it's, it is, it's mayhem once we get to that point. But uh, is there anything that's jumped out to you thus far about CFL training camps, maybe a storyline or something of yeah. interest that's caught your eye because it's been, so many things happening with all these different teams, uh, whether it's what happened in Saskatchewan with the Achilles injuries, or uh, I know in Calgary, trying to develop all this talent around Danny Austin's been tweeting like crazy about how good Marquise Ambles looks, which I think is super exciting because Calgary needs somebody to step up on that uh, receiving group that they have for Americans. But there's, there's a lot of different good fun storylines right now, which is really refreshing after such a long time off. Yeah, I think you touched on it. We talked about it for so long about, you know, what's going to happen to CFL players once they're thrown back into the fire um, in terms of, you know, being active and being in training camp every day and putting that wear and tear on your body. And then all those injuries pop up. And then the CFL Players Association comes out and they want an inquiry into why all these players are, you know, popping their Achilles or tearing their ACL. Larry Dean goes down. Um, and it sucks for, you know, guys like Larry, Larry spent a lot of time, you know, in Hamilton, uh, and we got to know him as a leader in the locker room and a hell of a football player. And oh, yeah. we already knew that, uh, before we started covering the team and, you know, you hate to see those injuries, especially now, because I know there's an excitement level there for all these CFL players to say, wow, I'm, I'm playing football again. I can't wait. I'm hungry to do this. And then an injury puts you down. Um, so yeah, for Larry Dean, we hope to see him again in 2022. Um, but as of, uh, as of right now, you just want to stop the, you know, the, the train of injuries that have happened so far in the Canadian football league. And I don't know how you do that without, you know, making yourself less prepared yeah. if you're not pushing players in practice and training camp. I said to DT when we taped the breakdown earlier this week that uh, I was looking at, you know, one wish that I had for every team going through training camp here. And some of them were, you know, I want to see Nathan Rourke get some action with the BC Lions or, you know, there's no preseason games, but I'd love to see a team try this. And for Hamilton, I think I wrote in the article on CFL.ca that you can check out there if you want, but it was like, you know, mix and match. I want to see Bert and Kalinich on the field at the same time. And I came to Saskatchewan and I, I could have been like, you know, I want to see Cody Fajardo do this, or I want to see this player step into that role. But all I could honestly write for Saskatchewan, because they're going to be a good team regardless of the injuries, yep. despite the fact that they took a hit with some of them. And all I wrote was, please stop getting injured. Because I don't want to have one of those years where we don't actually get to see the true potential of a team because they have these unfair injuries that strike them at a variety of positions. So, and then I actually mentioned in that conversation with DT that I said, you know, I, I want to find out how good Jordan Williams Lambert is. Like, I don't want somebody like him who has potential to actually end up having an injury that keeps them away from the field. And I can't find out the answer to that. Well, sure enough, I wake up yesterday and I see that he's going to be out for seven to 10 days. Cause he's got a cut on his hand. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not, you know, a season ending thing, but I'm like, damn, like, I don't, I don't know why these guys are getting so dinged. I mean, I think I do, but everybody's body reacts differently to the amount of time off and how much work they put into preparing their bodies correctly. So um, that that's my biggest thing with those injuries is it's just so different. But I would say this, my, my favorite storyline thus far throughout training camp, and maybe it's just because I always love talking about quarterback stuff, but 
I could mention any of the starting quarterbacks. I think we know outside of maybe Toronto and Hamilton, we know who's going to be the starting quarterback across the board, right? It's Bo Levi Mitchell, it's Trevor Harris, it's Michael Riley, it's Zach Kalaros, it's Cody Fajardo, and Les Paxton Lynch. Hey, we'll see. Uh, no, it's going to be Cody. <laughs> it's going to be Cody Fajardo. Uh, I I love. I almost tweeted out the other day, and this was, I saved some of my inner thoughts for the podcast because I like this medium more than I do putting out things that have no context and then people just ripping you on Twitter because they don't get that you're being sarcastic. I almost tweeted out the other day, hey, did you guys know that Paxton Lynch is six foot seven? <laughs> because every single person that was talking about Paxton Lynch in that first day, we get it. He's tall. There is no correlation between being tall and being good at quarterback. So please stop talking about the height thing. We get it. He's a giraffe. It looks weird. That's fine. Yeah. It has no connection with anything that's actually happening on the field. So I just, uh, for everybody that's uh, talking about Paxton Lynch, it's like, I have a lot more respect for everything that's being reported and discussed about his career moving forward. If we don't have to rely on the, Hey, look, a tall guy. I'm like, that is the most basic analysis humanly possible. But anyways, uh, across the board, Vernon Adams Jr. And then in Ottawa, we all obviously know it's going to be Matt Nichols with Paul Lapolis, but it's the backup quarterback stories that have me interested. And not just in Hamilton and Toronto, where regardless of whether it's Arbuckle, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, Evans, Masoli, whoever doesn't get a chance to start, they're going to be a great backup. It is in BC, where you've got Nathan Rourke, a Canadian, going up against Shea Patterson, former Michigan quarterback, and Will Arndt, the former Red Blacks third string. Like, I, I just find that to be such an interesting dynamic of that room. It's in uh, Edmonton, where I read that Troy Williams is leading the battle as he's going up against a couple of uh, pretty good pocket passers that came up from the NCAA. Their names escape me right now. Taylor Cornelius, I think, was from Oklahoma State. There's one other. Yeah. And then the one that really jumped He was in, an XFL guy, wasn't he, this I past think year? so. Yeah, yeah. I think he was with uh, the Vipers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Tampa Bay Vipers. But, uh, and I... The one that really jumps out to me out there, because Winnipeg, like we all think it's going to be Sean McGuire and in Ottawa, <laughs> whoever, I mean, who, it doesn't really matter at this point based on their Matt Nichols. If they go without Matt Nichols, it doesn't matter who's in. They're going to lose a lot of games. So, um, but in Calgary, Calgary in, in a similar vein to what BC is going through with their decision-making right now is amazing to me because there's a Canadian, right? There's Michael O'Connor. He signs out there in yep. free agency. I always thought since Andrew Buckley retired, that Michael O'Connor was going to be a Stampeders quarterback. It just made too much sense with the way that Dave Dickinson approaches this stuff. But they also bring in Dakota Prukop, who I got to admit, I don't have a lot of affinity for Dakota Prukop as a quarterback, as an athlete. Absolutely. As a special teams gunner, fun, different, versatile guy, a running quarterback. Sure. As a quarterback, that can go in and win you games. I've never really been a big fan of his. And now <laughs> he comes over in free agency at the same time that Michael O'Connor leaves Toronto and free. They have, they're like a package deal. So they both go to Calgary and now they're both competing to be the backup behind Bo. Will we get to see either of them? I doubt it. I think Bo has got to stay healthy. That's going to be integral yeah. to Calgary, just like it is with Nichols and Ottawa. But when I see Michael O'Connor going there, I'm like, if Michael O'Connor can't win that backup job because Dakota Prukop outplays him, that to me feels like a damning indictment. Now for Nathan Rourke, different situation, more pressure perhaps, but I don't, really love Will Arndt's game and I think Shea Patterson is just going to be another one of those NCAA guys who comes up makes some pretty throws and if he gets in a game he poops himself and he doesn't play all that well so I, I just I feel like these two Canadian quarterbacks in the West I'm not saying that they have to win the backup spots because if they don't I'm not going to crush them for it 
but I just believe that they they should, man. Don't you think? Like they're they're ready. We we always talk about these guys. We always champion these guys. It's time for them to like grab the backup role. And if you get your shot, I want to see a Canadian quarterback play like we did with Brandon Bridge in Saskatchewan. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point because it's not just the Canadian quarterback ready to play. It's not like we're asking a Canadian quarterback to go out and win 13 games in a regular season and go win a great cup. It's baby steps, right? And for Michael O'Connor, yeah, you'd like to see him, you know, seal up a backup job um, because I have no doubt there's going to be times this year the Stampeders are still a very good football team. They're going to be crushing the Ottawa Red Blacks or whatever, you know, a bottom feeder team in the CFL. And in the second half, Bo Levi Mitchell is going to be on the sidelines with a ball cap. And then it's going to be up to Michael O'Connor to go in and improve himself. That's the story of Andrew Buckley, too. Yes. Right? Andrew Buckley, yes, he filled in for Bo when he went down a couple of times. Um, but he also filled in in a second half where the Stampeders were up by a bunch of points. And he impressed. Sad, you know, to see the trajectory of Andrew Buckley's career because he was at a peak i think then he retired <laughs> well and he because, was also at the peak when he was the short yardage uh, expert who was going into that great cup in 27 yeah. there's 2016 and ends up getting tripped up at the goal line by abdul kane right and it's like his his career certainly had ups and downs i don't think they necessarily got the production out of him they would have liked to in those late season games replacing Bo or when he got his opportunity and blowout games and all the rest but i i still got a lot of love for andrew buckley and i i just i yeah. keep wanting because we keep talking about these canadian quarterbacks and I just keep wanting there to be somebody who just punches through the wall of, well, you're a Canadian quarterback. Maybe you'll be a backup. You'll have a nice little five-year career, and then you'll retire. I keep waiting for somebody just like the, the hand to go punching through the wall, and all of a sudden they're like, nope, screw that. I'm going to get a chance to start, and I'm going to win some games, and I'm going to put up like 400 yards and three touchdowns. And I think Michael O'Connor and Nathan Rourke have the ability to do that. But again, as you say, Kyle, it's baby steps. They can't throw for 400, win a game, and have three touchdowns no. if they're not the backup. You have to win the backup job to be able to get to the spot where if the starter goes down, rolls an ankle, needs a game off, needs a fourth quarter, is a blowout, then you can go and do your thing. So that's why I, I'm just I'm pulling so much for those guys to win the backup spots because it will lead to them getting the opportunity to show how good they actually are that I know that they are. Yeah, and for O'Connor and Rourke, I think it's important to note as well that those guys do have unbelievable raw talent and, you know, you need reps in order to, you know, kind of foster whatever talent you have into success in, you know, at the pro level, because the pro level is a, a different animal, even the CFL. So um, I think that was, uh, you know, an important thing that has come out of training camp. Another one, and I think we expected it the talk immediately around Ticats training camp. Now I haven't been down to training camp. I don't know if you uh, went down, you said you were going to go down, um, but around Dane Evans and Jeremiah Masoli and the quarterback controversy there. And it's not even a controversy. You ask those guys, they're already sick of talking about it. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think Dane Evans put out a perfect quote this week, right. Or last week. And he said, the success of me and Jeremiah means nothing to the team. Obviously we're, you know, the quarterback and we're important to the success of the team, but our battle for who's number one, it doesn't matter. It matters about the team winning. Yeah. Like you guys can talk about it and we can state it again. We stated it before. Dane Evans signed a contract long-term in Hamilton, knowing Jeremiah was going to be here. Jeremiah just re-signed with the Ticats, knowing Dane Evans was going to be there. I don't know what their friendship is like, they seem to be cordial and a working relationship and sometimes light friends or heavy friends, whatever label you want to put on it. Um, 
but those guys respect each other as football players. And yes, you know, as a professional, all professional athletes have an ego, right? They want to be the guy, but their ego pushing to be the guy in Hamilton is going to lead to success for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, regardless of who's under center. So I think that's important to state. I think Dane Evans has handled it perfectly over the last couple of weeks. I've seen more quotes from Dane than I have from Jeremiah. Jeremiah is <laughs> less quiet on uh, social media than Dane is. Dane will, you know, uh, you know, post uh, quotes about him that other, you know, platforms post uh, you know, on his Instagram. Um, so I think it's important to know that the success of the Hamilton Tiger Cats is still priority number one to those two guys. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a perfect way to wrap up the show today because that is that's the marquee battle right now in all of training camps. Chris O'Leary had a great article this week. Came out said, you know, here's the five training camp battles I have an eye on, and it was uh, you know a receiver position here, but it was uh, you know a running back position there, but it was really it was Dane and Jeremiah and those guys. If if there was a handbook to be written on how to deal with a an alleged quarterback controversy. Yeah. These these guys would write it like what they've already done. And I know that we're only a week into training camps, but the way they've approached it, you can't do it any better. They have diffused everything. <laughs> they are they're focused on going in and playing. They're looking for a championship. They, it's just it's perfect the way they've done it. So I, I congratulate them on that. And by all accounts, they look great down at camp as well, both of them. So I, I really don't think there's a wrong answer. I talked to Coach John Salavanis, my old color buddy there on radio recently this week, and he and I both agreed it doesn't matter who starts at some point, both of them are going to play, right? So Absolutely. We, we, we can make as much as we want about all of this. And the reality is they both got to be good. They both got to be confident and they both got to be ready to go at any moment. So that's storyline number one in Hamilton at training camp. Storyline number two, Jeremiah Masoli's hair. Oh, so good. <laughs> so good, man. I love it. I love that dude. Like, and, and the thing is too, that I love that Jeremiah is so proud of his culture. And there are people yeah. who will say, you know, well, I, I was scared when I was a kid because I was black and I, I didn't want to let my fro out or I didn't want this or I didn't want because it was too much of my culture and people would ask questions and I would stand out and I'd be different. And it's I love how proud Jeremiah is of everything Samoan culture and the tattoos that he has. And I've talked I wrote a story on CFL.ca back in the playoffs back in like 2017 or something about his connection to his culture and the fact that he was going back in the offseason and bringing uh, equipment from the Tiger Cats that they didn't need anymore to local high school communities and junior football teams back in American Samoa, I believe it was. So, yeah, when I saw that hair come out, I'm like, I'm I'm pretty sure that that's not just a dude who was like wanting to change yeah. up his hair. I'm pretty sure that was, you know what? I'm really proud of my culture. I'm in the peak of my career. I've got an opportunity to play the best football of my life with a great football team. And I really want to represent something more than just the game itself. So I love that. But I also love Kalaros' hair. Uh, Matt Nichols is Matt Nichols is wearing a visor and has like three full sleeves on at Red Blacks game. I'm like, he looks like a creative player for some reason who just like <laughs> yes. got, got got drunk and started accessorizing way more than he probably should have. So it's it's been great, man, seeing all the quarterbacks and what they look like at camp. Yeah, and there was a screenshot that came out of Trevor Harris at Edmonton uh, camp, and I guess the billboard they had behind him was kind of green screen in, yeah. <laughs> and it kind of gave Trevor Harris like this weird like digital look to his face, <laughs> and somebody screenshotted and said, Trevor Harris looks like every Madden creative player you've ever tried to create. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> was, that like was, was me. I sent that out from our oh, CFP. I sent that out from our CFP account because as I looked at it, I'm like, he looks like every di- division three quarterback who's about to skyrocket up the depth chart because in the, all those video games now they have those interview sit downs, right? Where you have to answer the questions during your draft process. Yeah. And I'm like, he looks like he's just sitting there and it's like, 
do I when you know when I get asked the question, uh, what is it like to work with Jamie Elizondo again? I was wondering whether or not I should press X to say, oh, it's been a joy. Should I <laughs> should I press A to say, well, I really don't care about Jamie. I'm here for myself. Should I press B to answer? I'm about the team. I don't care. You know, it's like uh, he looked like he was inside of an actual video game. And to bring yeah. it full circle, hey, CFL video game, U Sports, esports gaming, all that stuff. The first person you can put in the video game, Trevor Harris, because he already looks like he's in the video game. Yeah, so uh, that was uh, that was great. Just back on the Jeremiah front. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, he loves where he's from, and he goes back and helps out, brings football equipment for the Canadian Football League. And I could be ignorant on this for the Canadian Football League and for the NFL as well. They should have definitely, as they put it boots on the ground they're trying to grow the game of football and helping those athletes because there has been a track record of just dogs just (laughs) coming out of that place in the world and just being crazy football players well i know that key linemen great quarterbacks and I would love to see, you know, both leagues foster that to as much as they can. Yeah, I know June Jones is heavily involved with the Polynesian yeah. Bowl, which uh, the Polynesian Bowl is like, it's it's so good. Like, if you ever get a chance to watch the Polynesian Bowl or even watch Polynesian Bowl highlights over there, it's like the speed with which they play the game is absolutely incredible. But hey, also shout out to all the global players that are doing their thing in CFL camps, because from a lot of the people that I've talked to thus far in the last week or so, they don't look at a place and it's not just the guys from Mexico anymore, right? It's people coming in from Finland, Germany, Spain, and Japan. And I think Japan is the really interesting X factor on this, this whole global thing, but maybe that's a conversation for a different day, but I do love to see everybody coming together in camp and figuring out, you know, Oh, that guy's wearing that. Oh, he's a global player. Okay. That's why I didn't know him. Or wow. That guy looks like he's in really good shape when I haven't seen him in a year and a half. So lots of learning to be done and yep. we will do our best to uh, continue to educate ourselves. And hopefully you, as we make the journey towards kickoff on August 5th, between the bombers, and the Ticats, of course. Kyle, have yourself a wonderful weekend. It was great to catch up with you, and uh, I know we're looking forward to doing it next week when we're another. And by the time we have uh, our chat next week, we will be 14 days away from kickoff of the CFL. There you go. Closer every single day. Enjoy the cottage, buddy. Thank you. Appreciate it.